Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. In Douglas Adams' famous Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, we are introduced to the Babel Fish, a little fish you could put in your ear that instantly lets you understand any language you heard. Sadly, the poor Babel Fish, by effectively removing all barriers to communication between different races and cultures, has caused more and bloodier wars than anything else in the history of creation. So today we will be looking at alien languages, what strange forms they might take and how we might go about decoding and translating them. Those are hard enough when we consider them in the context of classical sci-fi and SETI, where we assumed humanoid aliens are speaking to us intentionally, sending us radio signals we are technically capable of receiving and intellectually capable of understanding, but these things are likely to be much harder in reality. SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, comes in a lot of forms, but the most well known is listening for radio signals that look like clear signs of communication, or at least signs of transmissions by intelligent life. Its biggest weakness, and one of the reasons we don't spend much time discussing it on the show, is that it assumes alien communications would be readable, or at least recognizable to someone other than their intended recipient. The obstacle might not be that aliens are encrypting their transmission, because it would make reading their signals difficult enough if they were just compressed. Transmitting data is expensive, so it's in Ascendo's interest to limit how much raw data needs to be sent to achieve a successful transfer of information. Let's use this video as an example. At about 30 minutes long, with 60 frames per second and over 100,000 individual images, in its uncompressed form, with about 2 million individual pixels per image, we would need over 200 billion pixels to be recorded and sent, along with information about the appropriate wavelength of light and its intensity or brightness. In an uncompressed and simple form, this might well be over a trillion bytes. But rather than raw data, I generally upload my videos at 1080p HD and about 3 gigabytes each. So that's a lot of compression, and like any compression, it works fundamentally by taking any pattern and replacing it instead with a note that the pattern exists. So the better you are at data compression, the more parts are left out, and the more your signal looks like noise, making it hard for folks who don't know the method of compression to recognize they are seeing a signal at all. But this does not mean a compressed signal looks completely like noise. The goal with compression is not encryption, it's minimizing data and improving transmission speeds, so we shouldn't assume that the more advanced a civilization is, the more their signals look like gibberish. And no, the objective is to transmit the information with minimum loss or distortion, while minimizing effort needed to pack and unpack the signal. Note that I say effort, because while the objective with a digital signal is to minimize the bits being transmitted, the goal of language in general is the transmission of concepts in a way that least distorts their meaning. Essentially all language is intended to be a form of data compression. This is the critical point about alien languages. That language is a way of relaying compressed concepts, and that compression is part of what might make them so hard to translate, while at the same time, the universal nature of many of those concepts is what ensures we can translate them, that isn't an impossible task. Of course, if words are compressed concepts, we can't know the means of compression, if they have vocal cords and ears for instance, and some of those concepts might be alien. 
On the other hand, numbers like 2, 3, and 4 should be universal concepts, regardless of culture or biology, and the notion of adding or multiplying numbers should be universal. Area, volume, density, and essentially all of math and geometry should be commonly shared, which is why we often think of math as a potential universal language. Logic too should be universal, but it goes beyond that since physical objects should also be fairly universal. I'm not sure if we can take for granted that an alien mind has a notion for objects and categorization, but it's difficult to imagine how an advanced intelligence could operate without such concepts. It would be a very alien mind indeed that doesn't look at an elephant and think, this is a specific thing, it is very similar to that other thing to its left, another elephant, and different than that tall skinny leafy thing nearby, a tree, they are all standing on a mostly flat surface, I shall call that the ground, many small objects make that up, rocks and dirt, and far above is a big bony object that moves, I shall call that a sun. Such a mind would be particularly foreign to us as a species, one that does not classify and categorize or even recognize objects, since we think that way for a reason, and part of that reason is our method of data compression, not just linguistically but in our own thinking. Our brain has to move data around and act on it, so presumably also has to take patterns and simplify them into a compressed form that works on recognizing those patterns. We can actually see this at work in our psyche, when we see shapes in clouds or faces in an image, it's essentially our pattern recognition playing tricks on us. While it works most of the time, we can still see cases where the suggestions of a pattern or concept tell us something that isn't quite right. On a more complicated level, mental fallacies are also examples of this, where we perceive a pattern or continuation of a pattern that isn't necessarily there. Somewhere in your head, and my head, is the Gree Brain Analog equivalent to the file titled Elephant, or Face, with a list of what these things are and how to identify them. There might well be another broad category titled Rock, presumably listing a wide range of attributes that define a rock, but we have to consider that it might not match mine or the next person's completely. So if I say, can you hand me that rock, and point at a brick, some people might instantly grab it, while others might be a bit confused and search near where I pointed for a different nearby object, figuring I didn't mean brick, and someone else might ask for clarification, or offer it by saying that a brick is not a rock. Somewhere in our head is a file that says sun, and that one for sun presumably contains information that the one that appears every day is actually the same one, not a new object. This is something we take for granted, but it really is wired into our association. We don't have discussions about multiple suns or measure days in sun deaths, though if our brain or our cultures did not have this requirement, we might well call our days sun deaths or sun births, and have myths about all the past suns that have come before, and so we might consider that a given alien culture might not think this was the case until they had the technology to investigate their own sun, thinking it as a new object each time. Object permanence, the notion that objects continue to exist and act or be acted upon, even when we do not see or otherwise sense them, is a fairly advanced step of cognition in animals and human infants, and maybe it is not something we can take for granted on alien worlds or in alien minds. Or maybe this would be something that would be a universal idea even pre-science, as thinking it's a new sun every day because it disappeared over the horizon might be like a child thinking it was a new mommy who appeared every time they uncovered their eyes playing peekaboo. Given the central and comforting role both the sun and our parents tend to play in our existence, there might be a strong psychological tilt to drawing conclusions that made such central pillars seem stable and eternal. I was going to say that evolution should generally prevent a species becoming culturally and technologically sophisticated if it was insane, 
and thus things which reduced anxiety, like assuming the sun would rise tomorrow, might be convergent concepts for that reason alone. However, I'm very reluctant to say insanity or anxiety are barriers to civilization, I sometimes suspect they are instead prerequisites. Anyway, we might safely assume some physical concepts like objects, categories, and the fundamentals of physics and chemistry are likely to be universal as well. Whatever they call stars, they should have a distinct word or words for them. They might also put a different boundary on them, for example a species that evolved on the moon of a gas giant around a star might place the divide on words like planets and moon, and have gas giants and stars in very different conceptual places. We also changed categories on planets like with reclassifying Pluto, and we did used to think of planets as a subcategory of stars, planets simply meaning those stars that wandered around the night sky, if folks did not know they were rocks and the stars balls of hydrogen and helium. There are other considerations as well, for instance they might not have eyes, or might simply be sensitive to light much as we are to temperature, with a vague feeling for variance and direction. And yet, if we gesture at the sun and they are able to see that gesture and recognize it as an attempt to indicate an object, both big ifs admittedly, then there should be a fairly limited number of concepts they think I'm attempting to convey if I then utter a word and they can hear it. Taking all of those big ifs into account, they are likely to get that I'm trying to say that thing in the sky I'm pointing out is called the sun. They might think I'm saying bright object and think I mean the general concept which would include a light bulb, which might be called mini-suns or portable suns in their language. They might think I'm describing the trait of bright or the time of day based on its east and west position, or even the season based on how high it rises at noon based on time of year. They might think I mean the color or I'm expressing a warning about radiation, sunburn, or cancer. They might be deaf and think I'm pointing at objects asking them to name them, which they do by flashing infrared heat patterns on their forehead or blinking their eyelids in a precise pattern. They might be blind and have very good hearing, but have no idea what we're pointing at. They might have directional hearing that let them know what way I was projecting my voice so that they could identify the object if I named it while having my head tilted that way. And yet in spite of all of that, blind though they are, literally or metaphorically, they can figure out what color is because they can think, and they still conceptualize and categorize. They know what a photon is, in the same way we know about a proton, neutron, or electron. We can't see those either, though a species that could somehow detect and manipulate them as we do light or sound might see those particles, in some analogous way to how we see colors, and make images of them. Indeed, we even named the quark forces of color charge red, green, blue, anti-red, anti-green, and anti-blue, even though they have nothing to do with color for us, because we can categorize and conceptualize, and have used those names as an arbitrary system of classification. We just color-coded the mysterious force for discussion purposes, letters or directions would have worked too. An alien somehow able to see these color charges, as we call them, but unable to see photons of the visible light spectrum, might detect photons through scientific experimentation and name them after whatever they call the quark force types, in a similarly unrelated and arbitrary way. But translating to or from an alien language might present a significant challenge. On the one hand, we might find all kinds of different life forms, and they may not communicate in the convenient sci-fi humanoid way. They may use clicks and buzzing or color patterns on their skin or sense, which may not even be detectable to us, making any form of translation completely impossible without some form of purpose-built technology. If we're lucky enough to encounter aliens who communicate in a manner similar to us, there are all the questions that come along with any Earth-based language, 
but with all the additional issues of having different references. Coming back to the example of the sun, if we attempted to talk about a day with people from a tightly locked world, we would likely need to draw on different shared concepts to convey what we mean, a period of roughly 24 hours which we denote by the motion of our home star in the heavens, something for which they may have no independent notion. For us, this idea of day crosses cultures and is universally understood, but we'd almost certainly need to discuss it in independent terms. It's hard to discuss having a rough day with a creature from a tightly locked world with no night and day, or one that has no sense of texture for a concept like rough perhaps. A creature adapted to zero gravity is not going to have euphemisms for getting floored, being up against the wall, or a hundred other little ways heightened gravity work into our languages. Given that one of the more likely scenarios for meeting aliens would be far ahead in time and deep out in space, it's quite possible they would no longer be adapted to gravity, or for that matter that we might not be, see our Zero Gravity Civilizations episode for more on those physical and psychological adaptations. So the reality is that even if a being evolves teeth, tongue, vocal cords, and uses vocalizations to communicate, it may not make use of words in the sense we think of them, everything could go right, in the direction of human-like communication in an anthropomorphic form, and we could still end up left with a language based on grunts and squeals. On the other hand, they might use sign language, which we also have, and all language is not just spoken words, it's a hodgepodge of facial expressions and gestures and body language too, for that matter our modern languages are hodgepodges of old ones. English is a great example of just how messy things can get, since it incorporates elements and even entire words from Latin, French, Old Norse, and several Germanic languages. It has linguistic rules, but they are riddled with exceptions and loanwords with no other context in language are used to fill in contextual voids. In terms of a language having consistency, English is pretty bad, but we still manage to understand what someone is saying, and even if we don't know the word we can generally guess their intent. We break thoughts up into discrete sections, like sentences, and those have a syntax which we recognize. For instance, we can tell that John walks the dog is different from dog walks John because of how the sentence is structured, even if we don't know what walk is, we know that there's an action somehow relating John and the dog. Similarly the dog wags its tail, the tail does not wag the dog, and this is another example of universality, as it's hard to imagine alien species would not have an understanding of cause and effect but be small enough to actually talk to rather than simply interact with. No technological civilization should be able to exist without understanding cause and effect. When we're talking about alien language, this is probably our biggest boon. Anyone coming into a language with even a basic understanding of its syntax and a few of the core concepts we discussed earlier, like mathematics, geometry, or chemistry, can probably piece together some simple statements, and use those statements to establish meaningful dialogue about other topics down the road. In essence, we might be able to learn the compression of other languages through certain fundamentals which are universally shared, even if certain localized ideas like sunrise aren't our initial point of reference. On the other hand, translation of alien language when neither of you already knows the others will be a difficult feat, and probably not something we could do without massive amounts of recorders or computers, unless we got very lucky about their biology paralleling ours, but it will be possible because they are smart too, assuming they are anyway. Folks like to quasi-anthropomorphize animals by saying humans just don't speak their language, but the reality is they haven't got one, not like ours. My cat might understand another cat better than me, principally because it has a very limited set of concepts and happens to match the other cats, so through simplicity they are able to interpret what the other is expressing. 
It is not a language. Language is a human concept that varies from place to place as an artificial construct of civilizations, but many of them can communicate even across species, and some can communicate more complex notions, but the lion communicates to the antelope that it wishes to harm or eat it, and this communication is not language. Communication, intentional or otherwise, is presumably the domain of any sentient entity, which is to say something able to perceive or feel things, language is presumably the domain of sapient entities. See our episode What is Sentience for the distinction between the two, but for the moment we will say that language requires much more abstraction. Human language is a very artificial thing learned by each individual human, and uniformity, such as this, is achieved by a combination of long exposure and usage and shared biology. Which is to say you grew up around folks who communicated using equipment you also had, and who put an effort into encouraging you to do it using the established protocols and terms. In other words, babies usually learn the language their parents use, not a different one. You went along with it from a mix of curiosity and need, hence why your first words were generally either attention-getters of naming the caregiver, mom or dad, or object-identifiers of the thing you wanted, like ball or food. For an alien, this same concept is probably applicable. Their languages will be built on increasing complexity of shared biology that is well suited for fast information passage. That's why it probably would not be smells. Humans can smell things, and our sense of smell is much better than we usually assume, too, and we certainly can communicate with them in a very rough sense, but it is much slower and less precise than hand gestures, facial expressions, glances, and noises, which form our main communication method. Humans are not audio-only critters, we can pass information along a lot faster and clearer in face-to-face communication. But we have as complete a tongue in spoken words as we can, and an even more abstract words-only written form. Written language is hugely compressed but not as compressed as the spoken word, which can carry volume and tone more clearly and quickly for instance. Smell is slow, and the same as you have to erase a blackboard when it's full and it leaves a thick blurry layer, a smell-based language is going to be a low bandwidth one because of the time smells can take to move, dissipate, and so on. We principally use it in the higher animal world for communications meant to have long dwell times, like territorial scent markings. If you can't see or hear, then it might have to do. Now could you understand sight or sound if you could only smell? Presumably yes. I doubt that we all have identical concepts for visual objects and categories, where blue ends and green begins probably varies from person to person for instance, but can a blind person know color who has never seen it? Yes, they can, and it might be that they conceptualize it as something akin to the texture the surface of objects has to touch or maybe an analogy to sound, it would vary from person to person, and presumably from alien to alien, more so. However, brain imaging finds that when a sighted person hears a color, it triggers the sensory parts of their brain as opposed to the abstract parts triggered when someone hears concepts like justice or responsibility. For a blind person, hearing a color will trigger those same areas of abstract thinking. Red, green, justice, and responsibility are all abstract not sensory for them. A deaf person cannot hear a bird song, one born deaf can understand it even if it's in the abstract sense. I cannot see justice, I cannot hear responsibility, I can discuss both. And while trying to discuss a rainbow with a person born blind or a morning bird song with a deaf one may not be as easy as with most folks, so too it is not easy to discuss them with a person who can see but has never seen a rainbow or heard a bird song. 
and pre-modern times we couldn't just pull up a photo or audio recording of either. Which is the other half of the translation issue, sheer quantity of data, but we'll get to that in a moment. First, let's talk about writing and data storage. An alien might live in a dark environment of thin air, where the best means of communication available to them was to rapidly tap their feet so their exoskeleton generated a high-tempo beat they could control the tempo on with high precision. This might be their language, but because sound does not linger for days, let alone years, unlike smell, at some point they will want a written language, even if the means for writing it is to etch into stone with controlled use of their highly acidic urine or spit. Why? Because writing is not a human concept, writing represents the desire to communicate with someone who is not currently there, and that should be a universal desire. There may be a few exceptions like giant hive minds or singular intelligences, or ones with neoperfect recall who really have little need to communicate that way and don't develop it, but they should be exceptions not the norm. Now writing can be used for other purposes, like a backup memory where you draw a little cow's head and mark sticks next to it for each cow that came by that day, to keep track of your horde, or tax the hoarders bringing in their cows to trade in your town, or giant squid monsters I suppose since we're talking aliens here. You can use this for your memory or as a quick unique language you made with a partner, you probably wouldn't think you have invented a language by telling your fellow hoarder that you tally sheep and cows and chickens by having empty Pepsi, Coke, and Mountain Dew bottles respectively in which you drop pebbles, but in a way, you did, and you create a communication method with a specific protocol for data and a compression method. It is obviously a very crude and limited one, but could be expanded upon. We cannot assume an alien watching us gesture at various chickens, cows, and sheep while dropping rocks equal to their numbers in bottles, one chicken, two chicken, one sheep, five sheep, six sheep, and so on, is going to get the point instantly or right on the nose, but if you do it enough they should. Again, sheer amount of data. We often talk about how we have languages from back in the day where writing was still not too common where we don't know what it all means, and we use this as an analogy for alien languages being indecipherable but this is wrong. We cannot translate those old tablets of this or that ancient civilization because we just don't have much data or uniformity. Some civilization that never invented dictionaries, that sprawled over hundreds of towns and hundreds of years but only gave us maybe a thousand words written by twenty different people, each from a different town or time, is not something you can translate with certainty because you don't know if someone's shorthand abbreviation or typo with a slightly different way of doing some of the letters is even the same word as in another example. So determining what either or both of them mean is in many ways harder than brute forcing a language written by aliens. Bigger and more technological civilizations will probably standardize meanings of symbols they are using to record information. More importantly though, they will just have an awful lot more of it. They will have a digital way of storing it, because computers are too handy, and I dare say any species naturally talented at math and computation will invent them faster even if they need them less, so they will have a digital medium not just analog. They will find it handy to rapidly send data between places and that means something moving at light speed and they will probably find things like radio, magnetic tapes, optical discs, semiconductors, and so on all good methods of storing and transmitting data. That means somewhere on their discs or whatever is a definition of a star, of hydrogen, and of fusion, and I don't know how many times the word Thursday is used in books or on the internet or on radio, but I bet it gets used more on radio on Thursdays than on Mondays, and I bet it has been used millions of times if not far more. 
and I'd bet it gets used in conjunction with words like day, year, month, 24-7, 9-5, AM, PM, and so on untold times. An alien hearing our video is not us looking at a handful of damaged tablets written by different generations using different local lingos, and having so little of it, that most of their words aren't used on the tablets even once. See our Cryptic Aliens episode for walkthroughs of how even just listening to radio DJs and analyzing the redshift of the signals over a day and a year might let you crack a lot of our languages. And a lot of physical concepts are going to just have words recorded in their digital or analog signals. There is a definition of water, even if it might get easily confused with seawater's water or bloods or liquid in general. A definition of carbon and lead and ion, all in digital form if we can recognize it or they can in ours, can then be rapidly translated. And there's probably a definition of the word justice, even if for them it's three different notions, seen as separate, that roughly translate as rules of a game, method or dispute arbitration, and record of execution, or similar. It should be possible for them to die, so they should have a concept for death. It should be possible for one of them to kill another so there should be a concept for accidental killing and intentional, even if the latter requires such a break with the norm of their psychology that murder is universally considered a type of insanity rather than an act of malice for which one can be guilty. We can consider an alien species which may have no concepts for greed or selfishness in that same light and thus might not get theft, but it would seem likely that most, if not all, alien civilizations will arise around that same dynamic of individual survival and desire in tension with group cooperation, so they are likely to have concepts like murder and theft and thus presumably need wards for them. Animals have territory so they can survive, they mark it out as theirs. They do so even though it is warning others you are there and claim it, thus making them on the alert for a possible attack by you and an unexpected ambush would be more likely to work successfully. However, since neither entity wants to be injured or killed, and that's a high probability in an encounter, the territorial marking decreases the number of encounters even if by forewarning the rival you increase your odds of losing any given encounter. This logic would seem fairly universal too. Thus we would expect aliens to communicate territory to one another in some fashion, and probably in space too rather than hiding from other aliens as we discussed in Hidden Aliens. This is probably done by radio signal rather than the time-honored traditional method of peeing on things, which is less effective in a vacuum light years wide. Maybe not, but we know every human civilization will have wars for hands and ears and feet and hair because we have these things and won't name them. These abstract concepts, territory, justice, love, possession, friendship, and so on, may be a lot more universal than hands and tentacles are. Now we can come up with an almost infinite array of ways in which language might be built, yet we can assume things like radio transmission or optical or magnetic storage because of how universal physical laws are and how efficient such things are at the purpose. In this same way, we should not assume any given alien is going to concoct a complex language, utilizing a method their biology allows for just for the novelty of it, though they may have limited versions of their language exactly for that. Possibly for novelty of course, but because it may have niche uses. We have sign language even though we use spoken word as our principal communicator and gestures, facial expressions, and so on as supplementary methods. Sign language is handy for communicating at close range with line of sight when silence is desired for instance. 
This means they too are likely to have niche alternative means of speaking, and thus understand that some other creature might use a method they do not, but it is likely to be a method that makes sense for the environment or the goal of fast and accurate concept relaying. So a careful use of a colored flag lived in a specific pattern of directions and speeds, for instance, is generally not convenient, so we would not expect it to be a main language conveyor, though it's one humanity has often used. A smell travels slow, carefully filling glasses with water to different heights and ringing them to create a pattern of sounds and tones is a major pain in the butt, so we wouldn't expect someone to do that, but one could imagine a species whose biology was so arranged. A spider could weave a web that said something, like with Charlotte's web, but that's not going to be too convenient, usually. Again, we can't imagine a vast array, but we can probably guess what an alien might use by just knowing their biology. If the creature has no vocal cords or lips because its lungs for air and mouth for food don't share the same throat and orifice, but it has some big biological drum built into it that regularly whacks and seems to emit repeating time patterns, then you can probably bet that's part of what it uses for talking, though someone watching our lungs might falsely assume our rate of breathing was how we communicated, some pattern of breath or heart rate. It's entirely possible it has a complex series of shorter shrugs or toe wiggles that are part of the process, or how it puts its feet, and while we're trying to figure out what it means with its hand gestures, which mean nothing, it's ignoring us pointing our fingers at things and trying to figure out what our toes or shorters are saying, which is mostly nothing. We do communicate with how we set our shorters, but we only use them in a limited way as part of our language, a shrug of the shorters can state uncertainty on a matter, but we do not use them as a letter or word sound. Fast breathing can communicate distress, fear, desire, etc., but is not used for relaying words or letters either. The other trick we might have for determining how they talk is by looking at how they listen, because odds are any natural language has a limited range of accuracy that makes the critters using it focus on whoever was speaking, so to speak. We don't have to look at someone to understand them, but it helps us guess what was said when it's a bit unclear. Having had a speech impediment my whole life, even after a lot of speech therapy in recent years, I still habitually tend to look right at people when speaking to them, and more so if they've indicated in some fashion they had problems understanding me, to make it easier for them to read my face, lips, and so on. We can probably assume a lot of aliens would be turning their sensory organs toward the communicator and start guessing by which are used and when, what the various main and secondary means of communication are. Ultimately, after that it's all about collecting a lot of data and examples, and analyzing their frequency and pattern, and if you can interact with them directly, not just by distant and slow radio, by assuming that if they are staying near you and not trying to flee or kill you, that they are also observing and that they will probably be trying to do what you're doing, which is figuring out how to communicate and assuming the other person is too. So it might need a long time to figure out that us lining one of our limbs up in various directions and exhaling in patterns was us pointing at an object and giving auditory vibrational pattern to identify it, and we might need a long time to realize it was spitting on an object to indicate it was naming it, while spitting halfway between it and us to indicate it wished us to name it, all while doing that naming by a rapid and precise blinking of 20 eyelids but with enough intelligence, recording equipment, computers, and most of all, a desire to communicate and patience, it will get figured out. Differences in languages can make our fellow humans seem very alien to us, and yet in the end, the fundamental purpose of languages, to share often abstract but universal ideas, is what makes each of us less alien to each other, and what might make aliens seem much less alien to us. 
So we ran fairly long today for an Alien Civilization series episode, and I ended up cutting out a discussion of what the common medium might be for transmission to say hello, like how we might send a signal with the intent of it being noticed or vice versa. That makes it a great chance for an extended version on Nebula, and for those watching on Nebula rather than YouTube, you can see that extended version in place of our usual sponsor spot. Nebula is our rapidly growing streaming service where you can see all of our episodes ad and sponsor free, and a couple days early, as well as some bonus content like our extended editions or Nebula exclusives like our Coexistence with Aliens series. You can also see tons of content from many other amazing creators and help support this show while you're at it. Now you can subscribe to Nebula all by itself, but we have partnered up with CuriosityStream, the home of thousands of great educational videos, to offer Nebula for free as a bonus if you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in our episode description. That lets you see content like Stephen Hawking's Are We Alone, and hear the late great genius discuss his thoughts on alien life. So this means you can watch all the amazing content on CuriosityStream, but also all the great content over on Nebula for myself and many others, and you can get all of that for less than $15 by using a link in the episode's description. So that will wrap us up for today, but we have our mid-month Sci-Fi Sundays episode on laser pistols, lightsabers, and other sci-fi weapons coming up this weekend, and after that we'll discuss ecologies, giant buildings containing whole communities and ecologies and how to design them, before wrapping up our May episodes with Solar Flares and their impact on the Fermi Paradox, then closing May out with our monthly livestream Q&A on Sunday, May 30th, hopefully from our new studio. If you want to know us when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes you can donate to us on Patreon or on our website IsaacArthur.net, which I'll link to in the episode description below, along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. You can also follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify to get our audio-only versions of the show. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.